Cart Mode Episode 6 Scribblenauts, Spyborgs, Wet and Unreal Tournament Brought to you by the Game Reviews and Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that decided that one show a week wasn't enough. I'm your host this week, Joe D'Elia, TGR Previews Director, and I'm joined, as always, by the man who puts the ass into Mass Effect, Sinan Koopa, TGR's Editorials and Features Director, and I just had to come up with that on the spot. Sinan, how you doing? I'm astounded, insulted, offended, and amazed and impressed. All right, thank you very much, sir. Um, so, Big Red Potion's starting something a little different this week. We're going to take our co-op shows, the shows that we would do occasionally where it would be just me and Sinan, and we are going to make them a bi-weekly show. Okay, now, no, no, but no, no, before you go on, we need to explain bi-weekly, because in America, bi-weekly means one thing, and in Britain, bi-weekly means another thing. It does, and it's very confusing. So what we're going to be doing is two shows a month, midweek, based on just Sinan and I talking about games that we have been playing. Is that okay? Do you accept that? I, I think I do. Okay. Fair enough. So this is going to be the first such show. After this, they're going to be found, as I said, midweek, and they should start in about two weeks' time. So um, let's just get right into this sucker because I forgot to write notes. And whoa, 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 whoa. well, hang on. I, just because, uh, just I'm just wondering if you know some listeners are listening and thinking, hang on, that's not what Big Red Potion is about. Like we're we're supposed to be about discussing one topic a week and doing something different. And this is what we were sort of talking about when we came up with this show about. Are we going to are we going to do this as a keeping with the with the big red potion ideal? And we eventually decided it did, didn't we? Because um, because we kind of been doing this anyway, really, in the co-op shows. Like that's actually what we've been doing in the co-op shows. Just yep. happens to be that we've been playing the same games. We've organised it around it, and people like the co-op shows. Sure, and I mean, you know, we don't get to go into specific games that we've been playing recently that much on our show because we kind of have to think of shows that fit in with the theme that we have of that week. And this show will allow us to kind of take games that we've been playing and talk about them a little bit more deeply than, you know, we, we would have in, a, in passing on another show. And we can kind of talk about what's out there and, and get people into whole different things. And, I mean, we did a show a while back on indie games that I think was, was really right. cool. And we, we kind of looked at each game individually and talked about their merits and, and hopefully uh, got people to play some of those. And we're going to try and do that now with other games that we've been playing and, and talk about them in a way that, we, you know, is, is the Big Red Potion style, let's put it that way. Scribblenauts, developed by Fifcell, published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment for the Nintendo DS. Now out in North America, available in Europe on October the 9th. Well, let's see, I, I, I have a bit more than you this week, so maybe I should start. I think so. Um, so I'll start with uh, Scribblenauts. Bastard. I, I know, I know you guys don't have it yet, and I'm sorry and gloatful, but sorry mostly. But it's actually, you know, it's been it's actually a game worth talking about because it's a, it, they made some really interesting choices with that one. Um, so I mean, I think everyone pretty much at this point knows what it is. It's basically a, a a DS game where you can you're given a situation and you can pretty much type any word that's ever existed in the English language and whatever if there's a physical manifestation of that word, it will pop up in front of you and you can use it as you would in reality. So What's the actual number they. Said how many words are in the dictionary? Twenty-two thousand eight hundred or something along those lines. That's amazing. It's absolutely incredible, and I, I I've been playing with it for about a week and a half, and I really uh, it's as long as it's not something that's like a penis 
or something that, uh, you know, is like, is like some type is faith or something like that. Uh, it actually comes up right away and, uh, it works just as it would. I haven't really, you know, managed to stump it that often, which is kind of astounding. And every word, every object that I put in there has come out, uh, in a way that it you know, reflects how it is in reality, which it really is incredible. And I think, uh, the, I think it was the giant bomb gone described it as a interactive dictionary. And right. that's, that's pretty much dead on as to what it is. They made a very clear choice with this game that it was going to be, you know, this interactive dictionary, we're going to build a game around it, and it's going to be great. And the way that they did it is that all of the, the movement has been moved to the stylus instead of using the D-pad or the buttons or anything. You don't have to use any of those. So you basically move your character around by, by shifting the stylus around the screen. And right. if you want him to interact with something, you, you touch it. You basically click it with the, uh, with the stylus. If you want that object to interact with something else, you click that object, and Maxwell will walk over and, and interact with that object. So it's pretty much all based around clicking. I suppose kind of like the, the Zelda Phantom Hourglass did. I was just going to say, yeah. it's very reminiscent of Phantom Hourglass sure. describing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar in a way, but it doesn't work as well as Phantom Hourglass did. I wasn't a fan of Phantom Hourglass, but it did work. That game was functional, and, and the controls did work pretty well for it. Um, here it's kind of hard. It, it's on a 2D plane, so it's a little bit harder to get them to do exactly what you want. Sometimes objects will overlap other objects, and you can't really pick the one you want. It's hard to sometimes get things to react the way you want them to. Like if I want to, you know, to uh, maybe put something in a bucket, sometimes I'll, I'll click the object, then click the bucket, and he'll put the object on the floor, and then pick up the bucket, and I'll have to redo the whole thing. I'm hearing a lot of podcasts talk about this, about how the game is kind of broken in a couple of ways. I don't think it's really broken. I think the game is very enjoyable as is. But right. I think kind of like Grand Theft Auto, where, you know, a lot of people play Grand Theft Auto just to get in the car, drive around, and blow shit up for a half an hour. I think that, in a way, Scribblenauts is best enjoyed in that way. I'm a bit confused by that statement. Do you want to explain it a bit more? So the title screen of the game is playable. You basically have an environment, and you have full control over your character and full control over the the dictionary, basically. You can pull up a, a thing and type in the word that you want to come up. And from that title screen, you could do pretty much anything. So, I mean, most of my time spent in this game so far has been on the title screen, just typing in random objects, having them appear, and then playing with them. Okay. And in a way, like, that is where this game really shines. Because when you're in the levels, you're in a very restricted environment. You're in a single screen or or maybe two or three screens. But you, you don't have certain things that you can do to solve the level. And once you put those there, the level automatically ends, and that's it. But on the title screen, it's literally anything goes. I can bring my dragons out. I can have them fight my krakens and my Cthulhu monsters. And I can send an army of bears after them. It just becomes this this, this fracas that, of course, is what everyone's been talking about about this game for the last six months. But that's really where the joy is. It's, it's in trying to come up with ways to manipulate this interactive dictionary and even come up with ways to stump the game and play around with these things like in a very open manner. Whereas you get into the actual levels, it becomes a little bit too restricted, and you don't find yourself having that much fun with it. Now, when you say restricted, are you saying it's restricted because the level is overly complicated, or because it's just a constraint of space, or, or, or what? Well, that's the thing. Like, I think that, I mean, I've, I've only done about 25, 30 levels so far. And the levels have been extremely, A, simple, and B, 
you know, the levels all have a pretty simple solution, like a, a rational solution. Like, you know, if uh, if there's a bunch of things in front of you that you have to kill, you pull out a gun and you shoot them. And, like, obviously the challenge with that is that when I go into these levels, I kind of want to say, well, I don't really want to use the obvious answer. I want to kind of think of something else that'll work. Right. Like the one-up guys were talking about how you have to get this cat out of a tree, and one of them put an elevator there and rode the elevator up, and that solved the problem, which is right. completely off the wall backward. And that's the kind of stuff that is really enjoyable about the game. Right. But, you know, when you're doing these, these missions, which take anywhere from maybe 30 seconds to two minutes to be each, it's kind of like, A, they're, they're timed. They, uh, they want you to beat them in a certain amount of moves, basically, to get the maximum amount of points. And the points really don't matter in this game. They're just kind of there to exist. But um, sure. you, you kind of have this, you kind of feel this pressure to say, well, I could play with it here, but I'm in a single screen. And if I put a certain object there that solves this, it's going to end and that's it. Or I could just go to the free roam area, which would basically be the title screen, and have this just modern warfare, you know, of, of mystical creatures that it makes the game kind of fun to watch, and and have these battles that you know people have talked about for years um, when drunk, and that's where <laughs> the game kind of works better. And like the missions are fun and everything, but again, those control problems really come into play there, and it becomes kind of frustrating to get them to do exactly what you want them to do. I mean, what it what it sounds like is is that it's not really that they could have like beyond the controls. Obviously, the controls are an issue for lots of people that you know they feel that the D pad should have been employed rather than the stylus, and that's that's something. But I, I don't think that's what seems to be the major problem. It seems like what, by the way you're describing it, that really this doesn't work as a traditional video game. That uh, you find yourself just wanting to to screw around, and that any kind of constraint. Anything that reminds you it's a video game, and it seems like you know it's a trivial thing that you're mentioning the the, the points in the in the top right. <laughs> right. But no, and I, but I get where you're coming from because it does make you feel like you've got to do something quickly. It makes you not feel like it's just an experimentational, right. nothing at stake thing. And I almost think the fact that the most of the levels are kind of these one-off things is kind of, uh, in a way, I would almost rather that they built this like intricate long level where you have to constantly be coming up with things to solve this problem and move on to the next one, solve this problem, move on to the next one. Like if they built like a, a maze kind of right. where there was multiple problems that you had to solve along this path to get to a common you know, goal point and, you know, maybe it was even nonlinear where you can go multiple paths or whatever. If you, you're stumped on one side, you can walk to the other. And that stuff may be later in the game. I'm not sure. I don't think it gets that intricate, but if it is, absolutely, I will enjoy those more. But the early levels, the, my early impressions of what I've been playing have mostly been these, you know, um, oh, solve this real quick problem. Uh, put these, this thing here to stop these ants. Like that kind of really short, uh, kind of meaningless solution to the problems that you could solve in any hundreds of ways that it kind of just makes it feel like you're playing snippets of a, of a, a different game rather than levels in this one. Right. Do you think if they'd said... Rather than making it a linear game, you've got to go through one level after the other. It's just you have the whole bunch of levels available to you from the start. There's like a screen, literally, which you can select one from however many levels there are. And there's no timer. There's no points. It's just like, here's a situation. Do what you want in it. Would would that work? Because I, I don't like the idea of it just... It sounds like, you know, just playing in a title screen. That sounds like a tech demo. Sure. And I, I think that would be weak for this game. But I... I, I like the idea of these levels with, you know, giving the, all the experimentation some context and some scope and a bit more dimension. 
what annoys me is it sounds like it's overcomplicating something which could be so much simpler mm. the way that you're describing it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, like many other podcasts at this point have mentioned, I think the controls definitely do play a part of it. Right. Because if it was easier to move Maxwell around, and it was easier to make him pick up guns and, and do certain things that, you know, you would think would be very simple, but in this game don't end up being that simple. I think it would be, you know, I mean, I think the levels would be more enjoyable. I think you'd be able to pretty much blow through them because most of the times when I die, it's because of something didn't work out the way I planned it to. And I think that's the problem. I think that had they, you know, I think that the, the free option is great. The title screen is great. And I think that obviously is where, um, you know, in a party environment, that's pretty much what you're going to be playing with. Right. But as far as making this great tech demo idea into an actual game, I think maybe had they had they gone a different route instead of kind of having these, oh, you know, 200 challenges, you know, even if you pick them in any order, I think then it would just be too cluttered and you wouldn't really know where to go. Maybe if it had gone to like a, a brain age type of thing where there's different categories, right? Like this, you know, the next, these 10 levels are all um, like mazes that you have to get through. And these sure. 10 levels are all, you know, based around fire or something along those lines. I think had they maybe broken everything up into uh, themes that anyone would be able to grasp, where you could say, well, you know what, I kind of feel like, you know, doing this certain thing, I could go to this, this certain area of the game. I think that might have been a little better than just level 1, level 2, level 3. And, and you know, they, they break it up based on action levels and puzzle levels. But, again, within those sections, they're just level 1, level 2, level 3. And it, it just becomes a... I don't know, the level objectives almost become like a hindrance of what you could be doing, which is just playing with this game and seeing what you could come up with in these wacky situations, creating your own mini objectives, in other words, with these just crazy situations that you invent while you're playing. You know, the more you describe it, the more it sounds like Crayon Physics Deluxe. But I was just going to say, it is very much like Crayon Physics Deluxe, except this one, well, like Crayon Physics Deluxe, which also had its share of control problems and, and, and right. little oddities. I think this game is, is hindered a little bit by that. But um, the difference there is that Crayon Physics was essentially pretty limited in what you could do. Right. And this game is way more open in that regard, but it still has kind of the same problem. Yeah, no, because I, I felt compelled to just try and solve the level mm-hmm. in Crayon Physics Deluxe, where, you know, people who talked about that game and, and said how great it is say that it's all about the experimentation side of it and trying right. to get that third star. And I just, that overwhelms me. It's too much for me. It, the, the bar for those crazy things to try and get that third star is too high for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it just sounds like that's the problem with Scribblenauts, that, uh, you know, maybe you have to force yourself to experiment Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing, whereas, uh, you know, because we're, we're talking about a DS game here that potentially could be as successful as Professor Layton. Okay. You know, it, it has the potential. It seems like they've been, I mean, I, I want to play it and make my own judgment again. I'm going by what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sounds like they've got wrapped up in the dictionary and getting all these words together. They haven't got the basics mm. of the game sorted, and that is... That's disappointing because really I would be ha- I would happily take you know ten thousand words and a game that works right. than uh, twenty two thousand words and a and a broken control system or, or whatever. Well, I love the example you just used with Professor Layton. Like, look at look at that game. Like, what if that had just been literally menus of puzzles that you could play? Right. It would have. I mean, I Not don't fun. think I would have finished it. It was the story that gave it the con- there's you know the world and the story right. that gave it context. It was that's what's Professor Layton's best asset. Right. They put this charming little world in there with the story, and then even though you know the puzzles 
uh, like the uh, Penny Arcade guys brilliantly pointed out, the puzzle's just kind of funny when you think about them in the context of the story. But right. um, it, it actually works, though. It gets you to keep going. Like, I want to click around every little piece of this environment, see if I can find a hidden puzzle. I want to see what's going to happen next in the story, so I'll keep doing these these really kind of tricky puzzles that I don't really want to do. There's, there's a driving element there that makes me keep going, whereas with both Crayon Physics and Scribblenauts, um, well, I can only really talk about crayon physics at this point, but I really had no drive to keep playing crayon physics after the novelty had worn off. Right. I stopped about maybe two-thirds of the way through. I didn't finish all the puzzles in that game. Um, whereas Scribblenauts, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty early on in this. I obviously still have a drive to keep going, but I don't really know if I'm going to beat all 200 levels of this game. If they had a decent structure in there for the actual uh, single-player content, mm. it might have you know, been more effective and had they actually given you more control options, which obviously seems to be the stickler. I wonder if they had given you direct control over the character, I wonder what the reviews would be. Because the rest of the problems almost, they'd still be there, but they would almost kind of be, you know, negligible at that point. Right. It's just one one extra barrier, which really, yeah. I mean, you know, we're speculating, you know, this could go on to have superb success. I mean, Wii Sports wasn't exactly reviewed fantastically and uh, whatever. So, We'll see. There's a little something for everyone. Serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the firm but well informed GamerDork UK. GamerDork, 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 GamerDork. Find like minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive. was one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like minded comment. Spyborgs, developed by Bionic Games, published by Capcom for the Wii, now out in North America and Europe. Well, we just talked about a game that could quite possibly cross over to to all types of gamers, so I'm going to go into another one that I unfortunately don't think will. Um, So Capcom kind of, I mean, all big publishers are kind of going on these offensives lately with the Wii, trying to get, you know, especially EA has been hardcore about their Wii. They want to push these games. They want them to get into households, and they're not seeing that much success. At least that's what Madden showed them last month. And uh, Capcom just put out a game called Spyborgs for the Wii. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I know people are playing it. I know squat about it. Mm-hmm. That's that's the problem, I think. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they announced it last, I think, January. And, you know, it's a new IP for the Wii. Capcom, as much as they love, you know, putting out these big-budget games, they don't really do as many new IPs now as they used to back in the 8-bit days. I mean, they did Dead Rising and they did Lost Planet, but, you know, they're, they're a sequel factory sometimes. Um, and Spyborgs was kind of this new thing that they were pushing. They did a new series strictly for the Wii, kind of like Zack and Wiki was, and that game went on to be very well-received, um, even though it didn't sell. And... It's basically, a, it's a third-person platformer, uh, I'm sorry, beat-em-up, that is very reminiscent of games like Final Fight, Captain Commando, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, all the old Capcom Street Fighter-era um, brawlers that they put out in arcades. Okay. And 
it basically takes the same idea from uh, that those games always had, which is, I mean, you start the game, you pick from one of three characters. You'd actually pick up two or three characters. Um, it's two-player co-op. You beat things up with no mercy whatsoever. Uh, there's combo moves. There's uh, little weapon things you can pick up. You can destroy parts of the environment and get item, you know, health out of them and stuff. It basically takes all the ideas from from those old beat 'em ups, which okay. at this point are very repetitive, and tries to fix them by making you, uh, forcing you to block, which I can't think of a single other beat-em-up that actually made you do that. Forcing you to block. So, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. If you play through it on the normal difficulty, there is, like, a casual difficulty where you don't have to block. You can just run through, punch, 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 and beat the game. Sure. In the normal difficulty, while you're attacking guys, they can still attack you. So you'll see a red flash, like, come out of an enemy. You'll see a flip go through the air, and you'll have to block. And if you don't block, you'll lose a third of your life bar. So that's that's a Beast Rider, Golden Axe type thing. They did the, the color coordinated sure. block okay. thing. Yeah, like uh, Heavenly Sword almost, too. They did the, yeah. the Okay. So, yes, just like that. But um, but this stays strictly in the 2D beat-em-up uh, type of gameplay. It's, it's very much a 3D, 2D game. And... Um, you have to kind of, like, when you're fighting, you know, the whole thing with brawlers is always that, oh, they're kind of mindless. You could just kind of mash, 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 and win the game. Right. Um, and you never really had to worry about health or anything because you were just putting more quarters in the damn thing anyway. In this game, you get one life to beat each level. Whoa. Now, they, you have two characters at all times. It's a two-player call-up game, and the AI takes control of the second character when you don't have a real person. And you can switch between them at any time by pressing the plus, the, uh, plus button. So you have two characters. If both of them die, you have to start over at the beginning. The smart thing they did in this game is that the levels are between five and ten minutes long. Okay. So that kind of solves another problem of Brawlers where, especially the arcade ones, where, you know, there'd be six levels in the game, but they'd each be like 15 minutes each. And by the time you got to the end, you were very bored of being in the same environment with the same enemies, all those problems. In this game, they're constantly kicking you back to the menu and with, at that point, they let you upgrade your characters if you want. They can let you do a couple other little things. They give you little breaks in between the levels that kind of add, uh, give you a little bit of time to cool off so that you're not just mash, 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 mash the whole time. And I appreciate okay. that. I think the five to ten minute thing actually works for this kind of game. So you have to beat these five to ten minute chunks in one life for each character. And as I said, you can get large chunks of your health taken off in seconds without even realizing it. So um, it, it becomes almost a constant, uh, you, you have to pay attention to the fights in this game. You have to, it almost kind of like a fighting game, but not that complex. You have to pay attention to what your enemies are doing. You can't just fight them. You have to wait until it's the opportune moment, or you have to study their patterns so that you know when they're going to attack, so that you can get your moves in before you get your health wiped out. Okay. And I think it's kind of interesting the way they do it. And, I mean, it's, it, I'm only I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. It does have um, you know, variety problems, and it does get monotonous and all those things that do affect the genre. But I think they did at least try more than, even more than Casual Crashers did, because that game did get monotonous as you played it. I think right. they did try at least to come up with ways through the blocking and through the short levels to at least kind of make them less monotonous than they have been in the past. Well, I think you've been kind to the word monotonous. I mean, I would say mindless. Yes, okay. Way, Absolutely. You know, you're talking games like Double Dragon and Streets mm. of Rage, you know, all you're Turtles. doing is just, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're just button mashing, essentially. Yeah. And they, they try and fix that, at least a little bit. And there are, like, special moves just like those old games. But, I mean, really, it's about the blocking, and that's right. that's something you have to do. 
I mean, does the colour coordinator blocking thing work? Because honestly, uh, the two times I've accounted it, I think we've mentioned Heavenly Sword and, mm. and Golden Axe, didn't really work, especially when the more enemies there are. I found it's right. really hard to deal with that system when there are lots of enemies coming at you. It is very hard in this game to judge when you have to block, and I've often found myself not even realizing that one of my characters had died. Right. Because of just when there's just a, a fray going on on screen, all these colors are going everywhere, you can't really right. see what's going on. But um, they do give you, like, roll moves in pretty much, so whenever you are getting overwhelmed by guys, you can kind of roll out of the way. They do have this jumping attack that will kind of clear a space around you. They do some stuff like that. And one of the characters uh, that you can select is Giant Ass Robot. And I don't really see why you would select anyone but the Giant Ass Robot, (laughs) because it's a Giant Ass Robot. So when you're him, it's kind of easier to see uh, who's around you, because you're taking up a pretty big chunk of the screen. Right. And... um, the thing, it doesn't really become as much about the color. Like, the color definitely will kind of catch your eye sometimes, and you'll see it, and you'll be able to block. It's more about, you know, I know that this enemy, when he jumps on screen, he's going to raise his arm and then slice me twice before I can attack him. Right. So it's kind of, it's pattern recognition and it's pattern memorization. And they kind of give you a new enemy each level. That's kind of how they vary it up. So every level you, you you have to learn what that enemy does, and you know then they'll throw him together with the older enemies. So you have to kind of juggle them all together at the same time and figure out exactly how you're going to tackle these things that are coming at you, while also watching your health, which drains really fast, as I mentioned. It sounds it sounds interesting. It sounds good, but like you said, I I haven't really heard about this game. That's the problem. I think that you know they've released a couple of things on the web, and uh, it hasn't really. I don't know, like. Well, what do you think uh, for the Wii, for, for a Wii game that you're going to put out, and especially one like this where it's new IP, so you, you're not going to sell it based on any previous games, and it's uh, it's a game that would kind of appeal to broad audiences. It's I think it's E-rated, but um, you know it has like a dark tone, a dark look to it at least anyway, so it's not just a kiddie game. Do you think that a game like this, like what do you think it takes them to sell something like this? Do they have to literally just blitz television with marketing to get this thing out there, or is it... Is it? I mean, Zack and Wiki is a great example of a game that yeah. you know, the, the fans liked it, and uh, they did a lot of internet stuff with it, but it just it failed. Right. This this goes back to this whole uh, discussion we had. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before about third party games just not selling right. on the Wii, which has been a, a constant issue. And I think um, the Blob was the game that we came up with. It's the one that has right. And uh, you know, the Blob is just lucky enough to have that kind of magic formula of being just exciting from the box. Mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what helped that game. You can just look at the box art and it's exciting. I don't know, honestly. I mean, if I knew, I think I'd be working for Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I, the, the issue is Nintendo, and like we've said many times in the show, aren't prepared to really support these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, there have been... Your game has to be near sensational. Mm-hmm. to uh, get their support. And, you know, I think the last one I can remember is Rhythm Heaven, Rhythm Paradise, sure. to, to get that support. And that game deserved it. Sure. It was it was superb. Mm-hmm. Um, if your game is anything sort of superb, you're not going to get that support. So it doesn't really matter whether it's adults. We've seen, you know, right. uh, we've seen them ignore childish games. We've seen them ignore very casual games. Right. Uh, it just matters if they think, for whatever reason, it's going to sell. I just think this one's really interesting because it's it's by a new team that came from um, some of the developers of uh, Ratchet and Clank are behind this one, right? And so I mean, it's obviously they're a team that knows how to make a platformer and knows how to make a, a 3D beat 'em up type action game. 
And, you know, it's it's pretty much, aside from Resident Evil Darkside Chronicles, I can't think of another Capcom game coming out this fall. So this is one of their two, because they delayed right. Dark Boy. And it's also, I, I looked into the development history, it's kind of strange. This game started off, when they first showed the trail, the first trailer, it was um, a very cartoony, um, very different game. You still had the robot, and you still had the, the, pretty much the two main characters. Uh, there was a third one also, but he, he got cut off at some point. But um, the whole theme of it was a Saturday morning cartoon. And to the point where there was even going to be commercial breaks during the game, where you would play mini-games during the commercial breaks. Right. So they... That one was obviously skewing very, very young. That was the original goal of this game. And now it definitely has a more, uh, I guess, Bionic Commando-esque, you know, uh, harder edge. It's still E-rated. It's still very much a, a kid-friendly game, but it's darker. It's got more, you know, uh, browns and, and yellows as opposed to the original's blues and greens that were in all the screenshots and videos. So right. they, they, they specifically made this game a little harder-edged, I guess. And they, they took the original concept and threw it out, I assume, because they thought it would only appeal to youngsters. Right. And I don't know. I, I don't really, you know, I think we've seen so many failures at this point on the Wii for games that have been targeted at, like, a mid-level to older audience. Right. I can't actually answer the question either of how you would sell this game to anybody. Like, I picked it up only because it was a Capcom game, and I, I have a, a degree of trust for that company. Right. They pretty much steered me right for the most part. Like, it's a new... That's the problem. These are new IPs to start off with. Right. That's the first barrier. Most of these mature games are new IPs. And uh, secondly, it's the audience is just not interested. Right. There's so much going against the mature games on the Wii. At least, like, with the, the kiddie games, they can come in through other factors. Mm-hmm. And I think Spyborg is kind of caught in between where it's it's not really skewing ultra-young, but it's also not going to get the Mad World audience interested in it. Which, I mean, and honestly, like, the, I mean, I've played through two-thirds of the game, and this would make a fantastic download title. Right. It really would. I mean, there's really, there's only one motion control move that you can do, and it's a special move, which could easily be mapped to any button. Right. And I think that the beat-em-ups kind of have been thriving on the download services, like Castle Crashers, for example. Right. Well, that's another problem, though. They were talking about WiiWare, which has its own issues right. inherent to it. So that's that's just I question the choice of of putting this game exclusively on the Wii, when there's nothing in there that really you know needs to have the motion control aspect to function. Yet they're putting obviously putting money into this game, mm. and they obviously believe in it to a degree to be launching it in September on the Wii with, you know, only one other title coming out this year for that company that's going to make them any money in the holiday. I don't, I don't really see where the decision-making went with this game that got it to the place where it is right now. Especially after Zack and Wiki. It's right. the same, it's the same developer publisher. So, uh, and, hmm. <laughs> EA, I mean, EA is saying the same thing. Like we're not giving up on the Wii. We've launched a couple of mistakes on the Wii, but we're going to keep going with it. And, I mean, yeah. I don't. And I, I, I just recently, I, I wrote, didn't I, last month about yeah. uh, about Dead Space Extraction. I think Dead Space Extraction would be really interesting had Dead Space sold just a bit more. Right. Like if, if Dead Space had been a five or six million game rather than two, just two, I think it, it got right. up to in the end. Um, we could be wondering whether Dead Space Extraction will pull over some of that audience, but it's it's not the same scale now, and. Uh, I just think no one's really talking about Dead Space Extraction, which is a shame because based on what I saw of it, it's actually going to be a very good game. Yeah, and I mean, there's a direct analog there to Resident Evil Darkside Chronicles. 
Right. Which is the same game, pretty much. Pretty much. And Resident Evil is going to sell a few million. Right. And, and I, you know, Umbrella Chronicles did very well. Right. And it's literally just because the people out there who have Wii's know that name. It's, it's right. been a movie. It's been games for a decade. People know it, know the brand. And the Dead Space brand, it's not even a blip on their radar. And but even the, if... The, but the developers feel like they need to... They can't bring their existing IPs over very easily. Like, it's easy with, with horror games. I mean, you just turn that into a light gun game. That's very, very simple. Sure. But with other concepts, you feel like you have to incorporate the motion control somehow, and maybe that means you have to completely reinvent the wheel with your game, and right. maybe it's not going to be like your game anymore. So, I mean, uh, one of the games I got to see at EA's event was Spore Hero, mm-hmm. which is the Wii version of Spore. Right. That's going to come out later on this year. And it's nothing like Spore. Sure. You know, it's got... It's got some of you know some of the elements like the character creation tool and there's the general sort of universe and elements that visually remind you of Spore, but sure. the game is a completely different concept. It's got you know none of the none, not even one really of the five supposed genres that uh, Spore you know was right. inspired by. Right. It's its own separate third-person adventure thing and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Really, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's almost an impossible task for developers to try and bring new IPs that are mature to the system because there are just too many barriers. Flint, developed by Artificial Mind and Movement, published by Bethesda Softworks for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 out in North America and Europe. Alright, so you've been playing uh, two very interesting games, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> so pick whichever one you'd like. Let's go Let's go with Wet first. Okay. So you put up a review on the site for I Wet, did. which I'm, because I wanted to talk with you today, I have not read. Okay. And I wanted to keep my opinion clear on the game, because sure. I knew that we might be getting another se- a second copy from Bethesda, and that uh, I probably would be playing the game anyway. So, stick clear of your reviews, stick clear of other reviews. My preconceptions with Wet, uh, because I really haven't been tuning into any of the, any of the hype around it, sure. which there really hasn't been. No. Um, it's, been it's kind of gone on underneath the radar, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, my, my preconceptions go as far back as that embarrassing tech demo at first <laughs> when it when it came out. You know, uh, John Davidson, I remember every time he mentions it on One Up Yours and Listen Up, it, it's just with scorn and distaste <laughs> for this this first outing that it, it had. And you know, rightly so, it was it seemed like a tacky concept, a tacky name to associate with uh, this uh, sexy yeah. female character yeah. just playing to all the wrong things about gaming. And so my preconceptions go all the way to that. And getting my hands on the game now, it's nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> you know, there's, it's so funny how uh, unsexual a character Ruby is. And it's not that she isn't attractive. Right. It's not that uh, she's not wearing hip, trendy, tight clothes. But right. there's no sexual in it. Everyone around her refers to her as you fucking bitch. <laughs> the whole game, you're just being told you're a fucking bitch. And by the end of it, you're thinking, well, I am a fucking bitch. I go around <laughs> being a complete bitch to everybody. Well, uh, what did I tell you last week? I kind of expected the whole game to be like those Austin Power scenes where there's always <laughs> something like in front of the, the, the juicy bits during the entire... I almost expected it to be that sexual right. because of everything that I had you know, kind of heard about it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I... I don't know if the theme that they had 
in mind is the theme they've got now. I I I, I find myself thinking no. I think this has gone undergone a rehaul at some point because it was a, a long time since it was first announced. Right. And I think it's the better for it. It's the association with Grindhouse, mm-hmm. uh, Grindhouse Films, and obviously Quentin Tarantino Films because there is it's got a very sure. similar kind of tribute way of to, to, you know these Grindhouse Films that Tarantino employs in his films. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a much better, much better thing to associate itself <laughs> with than what it, where it was before. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I, I'm about halfway through the game, so okay. correct me if I'm wrong because you've played the whole thing. Right. It feels to me like it's 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 not style over substance, mm-hmm. like like Mad World was. Uh, there's there is a lot of style going on, you know, maybe a bit too much. It is a bit sort of shoving down your face, like, oh, we're different, we've got the <laughs> cool things going on, we're, we're not like those other action games you play. Right. But there are some odd design choices. Yes. And they seem to hinder the game, and uh, I feel like uh, at some point they ran out of ideas, mm-hmm. and... Uh, what you get is all these sort of token attempts to try to do something different, which are not really interesting. And uh, so, how I don't know. far how far are you actually? How far am I? I'm up to chapter seven. Okay, there are. I think there are twelve. Twelve chapters. I believe there are twelve. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you you basically okay. Just over uh, halfway. Right. Okay. Like we we talked about padding on last week's show, mm. and. Uh, Apparently, that's a term I should use carefully and cautiously. I don't don't think it's unfair to say that Wet suffers from padding. Send the hate mail to shoinen at gmail.com. Shoinen. That's spelled S-H-O-N-A-N. Yes. Yes. It might not be spelled that way. Um. (laughs) Hypocrite already. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I I think it does suffer from padding. I mean, there are... It overuses its 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 main gameplay components, which is very very similar to the club, sure. which I don't know if you've played. I have, uh, and I enjoyed it. The club is fine. You know, it's nothing if, fantastic. If you take that idea and you put it in a better game, a better right. wrapping, rather a better presentation, it's a great game. And you see, that's what wet should be in theory, right? Because it is pretty much taking the exact same concept, mm-hmm. combo based action, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get as many moves together so that you have a better style rating, whatever it's called. Right. Um, and wet, actually, the mechanics are better as well. Like, yes. the general mechanics, like, you know, the, the shooting in club was in the club was very, very limited. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not that it isn't limited here, but it's a definite improvement, you know. It's just that the level design, for one, is <laughs> atrocious. <laughs> it really is bad. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on the level design? Okay, I appreciate that they tried to at least pick themes that weren't warehouses and factories, for the most part. There are some in there. But I like kind of that they did, I don't know if you saw this yet, but it's really not giving anything away, but there was kind of like a Chinese New Year level. Yeah. Okay. Like that kind of, as a, just from a purely design visual standpoint. standpoint. Yes. Yeah, visual standpoint. From a visual Absolutely. standpoint, I appreciated that they didn't just stick to the things that every other third-person shooter sticks to. Sure. But the actual uh, levels are just hallway, big room, hallway, big room, hallway, essentially. Right. And yes, that is a problem. It feels very artificial. Right. And it also, I mean, 
yeah, here's my thing with Wet. Like, I, when I first put that game disc in, I had zero knowledge about it, really. I knew nothing except that first trailer, which is what you were talking about before. And from the get-go, it kind of blew me away. Right. Like, I will admit, the first two or three levels, I was extremely happy with this game. Right. Because you're getting all these crazy moves. The second level is just this wild car chase, which I don't even want to spoil. Because if you right. haven't played it, it is really cool. But no, just just to, to focus on this on this, I don't I know you don't want to spoil that. As as exciting as it is, it's rapping. It is rapping because it's a it's a QTE filled right thing. You're still just basically shooting, but yeah. the stuff that's happening around you is very cool. And honestly, I was giggling aloud during that entire thing because it is it's it's fair, it's kind of like kind of like the Grindhouse movie. I mean, you're you're in Planet Terror, uh, the first half of that flick, you're watching these just utterly ridiculous things that you've seen in countless other movies and you never actually giggled at them before. But they did it so cleverly in um, in Grindhouse that it was fantastic and it was enjoyable. Right. I think in Wet, they kind of have that same uh, gleeful uh, presentation type thing with, with their action sequences. Yes, you've been in, you know, you've shot your way through car chases before, but this one is just so absurd that the whole time it kind of feels really awesome when you're doing it. And even though you're just shooting, you're kind of having more fun than you would be shooting on a, say, factory level in another game. I will give you that. That's fair enough. And there's also a different type of... Uh, have you done anything with a plane yet? The Where you're jumping out the plane? Yes. I mean, you see, that's not that as quite as original as the, uh, the car chase thing, because uh, I don't know if you played Ratchet & Clank Tools of Destruction. I did, yeah. Okay, so that's exactly where it's taken from. Sure, um, and it's also there's a flick called uh, Shoot 'Em Up, which I'm not sure if you've seen it. No, but it, it is it, that flick is also kind of like the Grindhouse movies, where it's just this crazy action, and that sequence is literally lifted from Shoot 'Em Up, bullet for bullet. Okay, and um, but I but think I, I was just talking in a very purely gameplay sense, right? Though. And I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it, the, the actual wrapping around it was strictly taken from uh, Shoot 'Em Up. Okay. And so you combine our two ideas and we have an actual level. So, um, yeah, it is, it's, it's a ridiculous action sequence where you're falling from a plane and you kind of have to shoot dudes midair and dodge debris. And yes, it's taken from ideas from other games, but it also is pretty damn hilarious. And it does break up the action because that's pretty much one of the three levels that's different than in that game, in, the, in all 12 in the game. Um, and, I, when you're actually playing, when you're actually doing the action sequences, yes, it gets old. Yes, you're pretty much just running and shooting like you do in every other game. And I've heard people compare it to Stranglehold. I think this game is actually much better than Stranglehold, right. um, both mechanically and design-wise. Okay. But um, it does run out of steam. I actually said in my review it ran out of steam at the halfway point. <laughs> that's the point where you've seen everything. You've gotten most of the moves you want. And you've done all the crazy, uh, the car and the, the plane, I think, is level six or seven. So you've done pretty much all that stuff. And the back end of the game is kind of just, well, you liked it the first time, so you could do it some more. Here you go. Right. And that's a that's a problem. Um, well, that's why, I mean, I, I got this feeling very early on that there was going to be the sense of having, because one the, my actual favorite thing that I've encountered so far, uh, and I am going to use this, I'm going to give a, a spoiler warning because I ooh. think it is it is awesome. Is <laughs> ooh <laughs> <laughs> is the uh, the bloody sequence where yep. you come up 
from the lift and someone's there, you shoot him in the face and his blood goes all over you and Ruby goes into this, this rage where the whole screen just becomes red and she's essentially a silhouette going through, uh, slashing through other silhouettes and, and shooting other silhouettes. And uh, the, the gameplay is very simple in it. It's right. not particularly difficult, but from a stylistic standpoint, <laughs> my God, it's just like awesome. Absolutely awesome. I, I love, you know, it, it, it that's what actually that bit felt particularly original because okay there is a bit of Sin City about it right and uh, Kill Bill also when she kind of snaps into that blood rage at the end of the oh movie. yeah okay that actually feels even more direct <laughs> sorry to ruin it for you but that's okay it. but okay even so in games mm-hmm. it's not really been done no you know you, you don't get you get moments where maybe things will like in Batman Arkham Asylum, for example, where they'll screw around with perspective or right. colours, but to just go into this completely visually stunning and uh, just almost blocked out, like, it was just awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. The problem was when it happened again. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, have you only done that once? Because, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as I'm thinking, this is, I haven't even got halfway, and it's happened again, this is uh, going to lose all merit for me by the end of this game. Uh, I'm almost tempted, now you look the way you describe it, to think, you know what, take it out of the, the PS3, put it to one side, and just enjoy the novelty I've had with it up till now. If you stop playing at the half, if you stop playing after the plane, you're not missing much. Right. But, um, all right, here's, all right, here's the thing with wet. And we can't, we've been talking about how the mechanics kind of fall apart and definitely repetitive. But I think that I put in my review and I I really do think that the style in this game, the presentation, it does a, it does a better job than something like Stranglehold did at keeping you into it, even though you're essentially just doing the same things over and over again. Right. Like in this game, uh, they, they have these indie rock tunes that play over every fight. Sure. And they like, and again, this is taken right from Shoot 'Em Up because in that flick they did the same thing. They blasted Ace of Spades while the dude did this <laughs> crazy shootout, and it was utterly fantastic. I recommend yeah. everyone see that flick. Um, but like, it, it's basically taken from that. But in this game, they basically blast these 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 grunge rock, sometimes hard rock. They blast these tunes, and it works so well with the rhythm of the uh, the stylish type action that you're trying to do. You almost find yourself kind of going along with the music and saying, you know what, I'm going to kill this dude along with the song because it's fun, and I'm going to slice his head off and jump off this wall. And it, it, the wrappings in this game are so well done in in most cases. I, I will totally agree. I mean, the, the the first sequence I'm talking about, the first bloody sequence, I I don't know the band, I don't know the song, but uh, it's just incredibly gets you into that mode. Oh yeah, perfectly. It's it's a perfect accompaniment to that mode. Okay, so what overall, what would you... Halfway point, what are you thinking? Do you think you'd recommend this game? Oh, yeah. Rental. Definitely sure. worth rental. I mean, the one thing, I, before we move on, just to talk about it, one thing that disappoints me yeah. uh, from a design standpoint was that you have this character, Ruby. The problem I had is, I think, uh, regards maybe just giving her tone right, was that she, I don't think she needs to talk so much mm-hmm. uh, during action. I don't think that yeah. she needs to be going around shouting, you pussies and stuff. I prefer the sort of silent brooding side of her, which yeah. uh, I, I think goes more in tone with what, what she should be. But the problem is, is that in the actual story, the cutscenes, totally underdeveloped. Sure. And when you think of great Tarantino characters, right, there's so much to them. Right. Like, they seem superficial, but there is so much he does for each of his characters. Even, right. like, the villains, there's these little, these little touches. Mm-hmm. There's none of that in West. No. And it's it's really disappointing, considering they're obviously trying to emulate the guy right. in this game. <laughs> 
But even like in Grindhouse, where the characters really were just, you know, caricatures of old horror movie people, they still right. kind of gave them their quirks. They all still, you, you liked these characters, even though you knew they were going to meet bloody ends at some point during the movie. And they really don't, and like, they really don't do that here. And even though they paid for a pretty impressive voice cast, um, yep. they really don't utilize it. Uh, I mean, Malcolm freaking McDowell is in the game. <laughs> and, uh, Alisa, Alisa Dishkir is the, yeah, and she does an okay job. I just it, there's also the Mad World effect where you keep hearing the same things over and over, and it kind of right. ruins the effect. But I, I will say this: there is a so there's these training missions. Whenever you get a new gun, you have to run through this this course in under a certain amount of time to get these medals. And what they do is much like the club, they put targets around the course that you have to shoot. Right. Shooting those targets will take a few seconds off your clock. So it's kind of like a race that you have to shoot these targets to get your time down so that you can get in under the, the gold time limit, which you actually have to do the course pretty much perfect to get in with the gold medal. And uh, beating the game unlocks like 20 of these. And if you like the club, this is exactly what you've been waiting for because this is kind of the club too. Oh, yeah, I think that that's pretty much a special recommendation you can make for this game because there were plenty of people actually who secretly quite liked the, the club but didn't really want to say it right um, and I think this is a better version of the club absolutely I'd say that's spot on Unreal Tournament developed by Epic Games and Digital Extremes published by GC Interactive for the PC in 1999 PlayStation 2 in 2000 and the Dreamcast in 2001 It's not quite as current as West. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Was it from last year? No. It, what is it? It's got to be something from, like, 2007. We had a lot of games in 2007. But go ten years back. Oh. Yeah, I've been playing Unreal Tournament. I have a... Uh, why? <laughs> well, blame uh, the gamer scene's dits for that, because uh, he told me it was out on Steam for 99B. Huh. And that was like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Now, it, is there okay, still so a, a really huge community of people playing it? Oh, the problem is I'm not going online with it. I'm not. I'm sure oh. there are. But the thing about my personal love of Unreal Tournament, I played le- plenty of LAN games. Mm-hmm. I played plenty of online games. But I loved Unreal Tournament because its bots were superb. Okay. It had the best bots. And I don't think really many uh, shooters have had better bots. Uh, they're just they're so enjoyable and the fact that there were little quirks like one of the I don't know if you ever played the bots games much but there was one of the bots called Loke or Locke mm-hmm. and he was particularly better than the other bots and he would always he was incredibly good with the, with the revolver he'd okay. be able to shoot you down in a, you know four shots very very quickly huh. and there was another one Tamerlane who was particularly good with a sniper gun and it's just these odd like, why would you do that? Why would you edit your bots in this way? Uh, like, these little quirks, which only the idiots like me are going to notice. But I noticed them, and it just kept me hooked, playing, like, the same deathmatch mat- uh, ma- maps over and over again, just with these bots, and continue trying to improve my skill level huh. with them. And, uh, I, I, like I said, I played, I played LAN, I played Capture the Flag, but I've gone back to now, just enjoyed the bots game. And, and it just maybe, it made me think, like, what, can you think of many modern shooters with really good bots like levels. I can't even think of modern shooters that have bots. Right. I mean, Honor Tournament 3 obviously did. Gears 2 does as well. Okay. I, I haven't played, I played Gears 1. I haven't played Gears 2. Okay. 
but they they just seem absent from you know it's just assumed that you will be able to go online mm-hmm. and get the online experience or you'll play split screen right like well, but- I don't know I think that that that's a really vital component. I mean, that assumes a, a lot of people have internet access. Well, it's especially strange. And Sony's been putting out a couple of online-only games with uh, SOCOM and uh, Warhawk. Right. And if I if I remember correctly, neither of those games have bots. They are Bizarre. strictly online-only. Battlefield 1943. Exactly. And that remember. thing was a huge seller. And I can't even imagine how many more sales they would have got if they offered some type of offline play. I mean, the argument is with these downloadable titles, you've downloaded them, therefore you've got internet access. But I'm thinking of the major retail games. How many people buy Call of Duty, right. Resistance 2, right. Killzone 2, whatever, who don't have internet access? I mean, we keep hearing these reports that over 50% of how many console users don't have internet access. Right. But, like, you're eliminating a whole side of your game. And yep. it, how hard is it? Honestly, to program a bot, I, I can't. I, I mean, I don't want to demean the job of a, of a developer, but I, I imagine it to to program a bot to the UT level. Basically, mm. it can it can go around <laughs> and shoot people fairly proficiently. It doesn't, it doesn't run to through do, walls. It picks right. up guns and it shoots you. Okay. It doesn't have to do any crazy barrel rolls or uh, <laughs> yeah, even like the extent of the the class in the. You, Unreal Tournament bots was that they would do victory dance stuff that killed you. <laughs> <laughs> you well, know. And that was that for me. That's an awesome touch. That's all I want from my bots. That he demeans me after he shoots me. Griefing bots. Now that's something that I want. I, I would buy a game simply about that. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I, from my perspective, it's an odd design choice, and I think it's it's quite neglectful of developers. Is that all right? So, in our online heavy, you know, two thousand nine, where everyone's kind of jumping into these games like Call of Duty and stuff, it, it's really. Super hard to jump into a game that's more than a month old. Oh yeah, this is. I mean, I, 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 we were on the game scene, and I said, I've, I've got kills in too, and resistance right. too. Oh yeah. Now. And you, your immediate response was, yeah, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you know, you know, like I mean, people like me and, and and you and stuff. I mean, we might be able to jump into a game of like Killzone now and do pretty well because we we know how to play shooters. We've been seasoned, but. You know, to the guy that kind of just plays a couple games every few months, if he wants to jump online, jump to Call of Duty 4 right now, even with that, that ranking system in that game, he's still going to get put up against people that are going to kick his ass in five seconds. Right. And it's really kind of impossible for that person to really learn unless they keep going in and losing, which who the hell wants to do that? Right. And, I mean, that's kind of where the bots used to come in. Like, when I, when I bought uh, Unreal Tournament and when I bought Quake 3 Arena, instead of jumping online right away, I used to play against the bots. Right. Because they would kind of teach me how to play, and I could experiment. Like, I, you know, if I'm playing online, I obviously want to try and win. So I will go right for the rocket launcher, and I will try and do these things that I probably can't do yet because I'm not good enough. Well, but, that's the, that was it with Unreal, Unreal Tournament's main campaign. It was bots. Each, right. each level was bots. Sure. It wasn't any story, uh, which unfortunately they have now introduced to Unreal Tournament 3. Oh. They, they, they've introduced story. It is, if you think Gears of War has a bad storyline... Right. Ooh, I play it on Real Tournament Free. I tried, man. I made it a couple levels into that game, and I immediately ejected it and threw it across the bridge. <laughs> holy God, that game was terrible. But uh, the story was absolutely uh, unwatchable in most cases. Absolutely, and not even in a funny way. That's the problem. No, no, there wasn't. There was nothing amusing about it. Oh. I mean, you know, like as I was saying, like it's it's so hard. Like I don't understand how Call of Duty does not have bots. How Halo. I mean, Halo ODSC is just the multiplayer from Halo 3. 
Right. So people who are picking up Halo 3 ODST and jumping right into the multiplayer, they have no chance of doing anything in that game. I think it's, right. it's, it's almost irresponsible that developers aren't giving people a way to play these things offline because, honestly, a lot of people aren't going to have fun if they jump online. And it's kind of limiting who actually plays multiplayer games because people don't have these training grounds to play with. I mean, there's, there's, that, there's this assumption almost that a single-player campaign is enough right. for those who, have, who don't have online access. I mean, it's not just I, – I completely agree with you. I think there is this element of training you for multiplayer. But I think that maybe the more important issue is for people who just do not have access. Sure. You know, um, and it just, it just confuses me because at the end of the day, right, if you have a multiplayer mode with bots mm-hmm. in your game – Maybe your guy who's playing the game thinks, I'm kind of missing out something. I'm missing out on something with this whole multiplayer thing I hadn't realized about. Maybe I should go get internet access and get myself on the servers playing with other people. Whereas, like, you know, you're giving him no chance to do that if you don't include it. No, that's a fantastic point. And it's also the... Another argument worth raising is what happens in a couple years when there is no more people playing that game online. Absolutely. Like, very, very good point. I mean, if Unreal Tournament 1, if that dried up, you could always still jump into that game and play the bots, and you'll have, I mean, as good a time, pretty much, as you would have online. Maybe even more enjoyable time, because you could set the difficulty. But a game like Battlefield 1943, that game will be dead one day. You will not be able to play Battlefield 1943. And that's, that's the problem. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you can jump right into Unreal Tournament 1 now and have a great time with it just shows that, you know, bots do matter. Yeah. And until someone like Bungie, like, you know, comes out and says, well, you know what, from now on we're going to put bots in our games because we don't want these games to die. We want to give people a chance to train or to, you know, give offline players a chance to enjoy this entire half of the I mean, what is Halo without the multiplayer? Right. I mean, really, like, the single players are great and all, but that's eight hours, whereas, you know, I would assume that most people who own a copy of Halo have put hundreds of hours into that game strictly because of the multiplayer. And there are... I mean, Halo 3 sold, what, 8, 9 million copies? Right. I mean, maybe half of those actually have played online. Yeah, I mean, uh, we. one of the points I always make about Call of Duty 4 is that if you haven't played the single player, you are completely missing out. Right. I think it's, it's important to say, if you haven't played the multiplayer, <laughs> you are completely missing out. Yeah. And I think there are probably more people in that second group than there are in that first group. We recorded with the Digital Cowboys. Yay! Recorded with Alex Shaw and uh, Tony Atkins over at uh, Digital Cowboys, and uh, had an absolutely fantastic time. So thank you so much, guys. It was it was a real pleasure. And uh, I think they said the show will be up by Friday. So I guess you'll you see. I fucked this up. You're listening now on a Monday. It will definitely be up. So okay, for us it's the future. For you yes. it's the past. Right now, when you're listening to this, you could totally get our show of the Digital Cowboys. It's there. For me and Sinan, it's not possible. That, that's a mindfuck. Talking of mindfuck, that's a game I didn't talk about next time. Um, fuck. Fuck, indeed. Ooh. Right. Uh, so, please do check it out. Uh, the website is www.thedigitalcowboys.com. Um, if, you, if you don't type in the, the T-H-E at the beginning, you'll go to a really weird website. So. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't try that. Let me yeah. pull it up after this is over. Okay, great. Um, cool. And then uh, and, and do check out our show because it is uh, absolutely awesome. 
yeah, those guys do a, a fantastic show every week, and they 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 really they have a unique format, which Sam was actually just complimenting on before that um that it kind of makes them stand out, and uh, both those guys are really smart and really great. Um, so definitely definitely check out the Digital Cowboys if you haven't, and also check out their independent show which they did a couple of weeks ago, which uh, both Snan and I were on. It's basically talking to all indie podcasters about, you know, why they do what they do. And uh, it's a really fascinating thing. And if you if you are a fan of gaming podcasts, you will love that show. It, it's really great. Absolutely. Right. We should, this is done on the way. Yeah, so we're just be bundling. Okay. All right. So I've been Joe D'Elia. I've been Sinan Kibber. And we have been Big Red Potion. 